Hello, everyone, and welcome to Easy Medicine, a podcast designed to authentically engage medical and pre-medical students on their journey to becoming a physician. As an aspiring physician, I seek to provide insight gathered from my own experiences as a student, tutor, and coach, as well as others in the field to make this incredibly complex adventure a unique, fulfilling experience. Together, let's make medicine easy. A patient presents to your clinic with signs of hyperthyroidism. They have pretypial myxedema and exophthalmus. You diagnose them with Graves' disease. Which of the following drugs is most likely to be part of the treatment regimen? Is it A, amiodarone, B, digoxin, C, fluoxetine, D, levothyroxine, or E, prednisone? The answer will be at the end of the podcast. This topic today is tough. It is a complicated but important topic, and it is something that we all have hardships with, we've all struggled with, and we will continue to face many times in our life. The concept today is rejection. Rejection is incredibly difficult to go through. Now, first, I want to distinguish the difference between rejection and failure before we get into anything. I find rejection to be quite different than failure. Failure is something that after we put our efforts in, we do the best we can, we do everything we can. A failure is when that project, that grade, that friendship, relationship, whatever, comes to an end outside of the intentional goal that you had. Now with failure, there's a little bit more control because failure is a conception of what we see has not worked out for us. So if you think about a failure, when you're working on grades, if you're doing an exam, and you fail the exam, there was a lot you did have control over. You could study. You could review material. Everything you did before that exam was in your control. Could you control what happened on that exam in the sense of what what questions they put? No. Of course not. But the actions leading up to that exam were absolutely in your control. So another scenario where we think about failure is, let's say, failure of a friendship. Now, we may think to ourselves immediately, I had no control over this. If a friendship fails, it's outside of my control. I didn't have any reason for this to be my fault. And that is perspective, right? That's based on perspective. Let's take a friendship that has been with you for a very long time. And when you become busy, you stop reaching out to that friend. You used to talk to them daily, weekly. You would call them. You would FaceTime them. You would see them maybe once a month. And then you weren't able to do so. Now, even though your life may have switched around, there were still things you had control over. You do have the control to make the choice to call somebody for 10 minutes. You may not be able to see them as often, but the control is still in your hands. Now, ultimately, 
even if the other friend ends the relationship, you did everything in your power to control for that, to not fail. Now, failure, I find to, ha- find to be different because I think there is substantially more control in failure, which is why rejection hurts so much more. With failure, even if we fail, we may find something new in our control to either re-engage that goal and try and do better, or look at the failure, learn from it, do better from it, and then try again another time. Rejection is different. Rejection is a determination by someone or something else to determine if you will either get the position, get the place where you want to be, get into medical school, get the job. Rejection is determined by another person. This is why it's so much harder to deal with when we face rejection, because it's outside of our control. We could do everything in our power, have the best application, have the best resume, be the best person, care so wholeheartedly about what we've done, and a rejection may still come. And that hurts. And a lot of people struggle with that, that feeling that we're rejected by others. Now take this early on in your life. We're social beings. In school, we like to gravitate towards other groups of people. And as kids, it's funny, if you, if you kind of watch how they interact with their peers, they'll jump around from friendship to friendship, hold on to one for maybe this day, and then, ah, you know, tomorrow they're not my best friend anymore. This is my new best friend. And what's so interesting is back then, even in rejection, we would quickly resolve and seek out another solution. Sometimes, though, in rejection, these kids will develop different diagnoses, different mental health conditions, anxiety, social anxiety, avoidant personality disorder. Right, so rejection has a big toll based on how we look at it, how we view it, and how it affects our everyday life. Now let's get into a little bit. When I talk about rejection, I specifically mean that you went for something, you applied for something, you asked someone out on a date, and the answer was no. You expected a yes, but the answer was no, or not right now. That takes a heavy toll on people to hear that response when they're so excited for a yes. So let's break this down. And I want this to be a more serious conversation because a lot of people get into really, really tough headspaces when they, become, when they get rejected. So let's go back to the concept of control. In rejection, when we feel like we've done everything we can, we did the best we could, we gave the obstacle our all, And then someone looked at that and said it wasn't enough. I want you to just take a moment to think about a scenario 
where that happened to you. Maybe you were in a sports league and you were benched instead of put in the first, you know, to start. Maybe you were trying out for an audition and you wanted the lead role. Maybe you were applying to a job that you felt very qualified for. Whatever it is, think about that rejection. Think about the emotions that came with that. What did you feel? How did you look at yourself? Did you turn away from yourself? Did you start to have negative self-talk? Did you feel like you deserve that rejection and that others are better? Think about that. Now, this is something that is uncomfortable to engage with because when we flip into that mindset of what did I do wrong or what is wrong with me, we can find so many things, pinpoint so many things that might have been the reason why. Oh, maybe, you know, my grammar was off in my application. Oh, you know what? Maybe that last practice, that last five minutes of that practice determined the reason they said no to me. Maybe it was because this person had a one-up on me. Maybe this person had somebody in the network. There are a lot of reasons we can come up with. And sometimes, most times, those answers never become solved. We never actually find out why we were rejected. We might just get a letter that says, sorry, we went with someone else. It's tough. It's tough. So I'm going to share a little anecdote here about myself, my journey, and where rejection played a major role. So when I went into undergrad, I actually started out thinking I wanted to be a biomedical engineer. I thought that I wanted to solve problems by building things that would be good for the medical field. I remember that when I started my engineering class, one of our final projects was like learning how to or finding a way to heat sand without using heat. And immediately my brain just exploded. And I was like, okay, maybe you know what? Maybe engineering is not for me. So I decided to switch to biochem. And when I switched to biochem, I learned a lot about, you know, the different things of the complexities with bio and chemistry and biochem specifically. And it was really interesting to me. I then realized after taking a psych class in my biochem major that I was in love with the brain. I was in love with the mind. I loved the way that we have learned how the brain thinks and that all of these psychological conditions that exist are taking what is typical and making one change to make it atypical. And that can cause a pathology. And also in that pathology, it's such a vulnerable area, an area where people are really needing help. In my psych studies, it was so interesting to always learn about the different theories and to learn about the different, you know, concepts that exist in the psychological world of how we interpret things around us, how we develop schemas, how we d develop biases. All of these concepts to me were just so interesting. And I realized, you know what, maybe this is the path for me. I want to go into psychiatry. So I ended up going for neurosciences at my major, so I switched three times. And for anyone out there who's pre-med and wants to know, is it bad to switch? Trust me, it's okay. I switched three times. 
So when I switched over to neurosciences, this was it. This was my niche. I was like, this is amazing. I love the brain. I love learning about the dynamics, about all of these routes that we have and these organ, these the different anatomy of the brain and how it connects to each other and how it talks to each other to allow for motion and sensation and to learn how the brain learns and to learn how the brain interprets the emotions around it, the people around it, the environment it's in. I was in love with that, and I still am. And this is why I'm pursuing psychiatry and neuropsychiatry. So in my undergraduate education, I knew medical school would be competitive. I knew that applying would be tough. And I also knew that standardized testing was really tough for me. The SATs and ACTs for me were as average as average can be. I really struggled with the standardized tests. When they asked me the synonyms for words, I could not tell you even what the word meant. So I had no idea. So I was terrified. The MCAT was the biggest thing for me. So I made sure that in my undergrad, I would be connected with all of my professors. I would sit in the front of my class. I would do my best, try to get the best grades I possibly could, engage in as many extracurricular activities I could, while also pursuing things that I love. I started a company called Uplifted Co. with one of my best friends. And I got to do some other fun things like working in EMS. I got to work as a scribe. I got to work in research in the hospital. I did all these great things that I was like incredibly passionate about. But I also felt it would help me understand why I wanted to be a physician. And it did. It really did. And now application season comes around. It's junior year. I'm studying for the MCAT while also taking biochem and physics and all these crazy classes. And I take the MCAT, and as expected, it's as average as can be. I tried my best. I really did. I did, the, uh, I did all of the prep classes that I could. I studied for like six months. I really I tried my best, and I knew that this is, this is what was going to happen. I decided to write my personal statement about my mental health journey. I thought that that was the reason, most significantly, why I felt I landed in psychology and neurosciences. I felt like it was the true core behind why I am so passionate about the field, about mental health, about other people. And so I thought that that would be the best thing to write. And so I wrote about it. I remember speaking to my mentor after he read it, and he said, look, if anyone were to excuse you from their application pool because of this, they would never be on my team. But the stigma still exists. So you submitting this is a risk. And I said, it's worth the risk. This is who I am. This is who I have become and why I want to be the physician I want to be. And he said, you know what? The place that will accept you will see that too. I applied to, I think, 40 or 50 medical schools. And I remember sitting there waiting, and I saw a lot of people getting their invitations, and I was like, you know what? Mine's coming. It's coming. I'll be there. The ones I'm supposed to get will be there. So. It became around September, October 
of my senior year, and I started to get a lot of rejections. All rejections, actually. I had received one interview invitation, but that was it. I hadn't, had, I hadn't heard anything else. I recontacted my mentor, absolutely distraught, feeling like I was rejected. Like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't meant to be here. I wasn't meant for this career. I'm not good enough. They obviously see something in my application that makes me not worthy. So what did I do? I called my mentor and we talked many times. And he said, you know what, Ezra? I think you should probably apply to DO schools. Now at this time, I had no clue what a DO was. I had never heard of one. My grandfather was an MD, and I thought that's the only doctor that exists. I had no idea. Like I said, this is senior year, so I was not sure what a DO was. And he, he was a, my mentor was a DO, is a DO, and he said, go ahead and check this out. This is the last day you can submit an application, but I want you to, I want you to submit an application. Pick a DO school, submit it, and go for it. So I looked into the DO process. I looked into what is the difference between a DO and MD, and I was like, this is amazing. How have I never heard about this? Holistic medicine, taking care of the mind, body, and spirit, AT stills, four theories. I, I just, I loved it. I loved his laws. Like, I was like, man, I, I mean, this is incredible. But I still was really hurt feeling like, what's the point? They're just going to reject me as well. I pushed through that feeling and I applied on the last day I could possibly apply to one school, one DO school, and that was PCOM, which is where I'm at now. Within the next few days, I heard back from them. I got an interview and I opened that interview up with so much excitement and I went for that interview nervous as I possibly could be I mean was shaking sweating my suit was like a different color by the end of it because of how nervous I was because I knew that this was the only one this is the only shot that I've got and so I waited and then a few weeks later I heard back that I had been accepted and I was, I was so excited, but I was also surprisingly mixed with so much doubt. I looked back at my application pool and I had now received all of the rejections from the 40 or 50 medical schools that I applied to. And I thought to myself, if these schools don't think that I could make it, why would this school think I could make it? And if you think about what I'm talking here and, and what I'm saying to myself, this is a lot of negative self-talk, right? What I'm asking myself is, do I feel that my worth is judged by others, judged by an institution, judged by a program? The answer is yes. That's how I felt. I felt that who I am and who I am to become is judged by the people above me or the people who are already successful in what they do. It hurts. It's tough. And the fear from it really did play a toll on me. And I remember starting med school at PCOM and really just tell telling myself, I cannot fail. Because if I fail, 
I will prove that all of these other schools were right, that I am a failure. I'm not worth it. I deserve those rejections. And I even look back at my journals during the first couple of weeks of med school and I see that that's what I would say to myself. Like, you cannot fail. You have to do this because if you don't, the world is watching. They will see that they were right and you were wrong. So I share this story in the midst of interview season as well, because rejection hurts. I've said that multiple times now, but it does. I still get chills. Rejection is such a powerful word. And I wanted to share my perspective and how it's changed since that time. But I also want to share that the underlying fear of rejection still exists. I am human, as many of us all are, as we all are, not many of us. So rejection is still a really real feeling, but it's not a controlling feeling of mine anymore. So I want to go back to the concept where we were talking about control and how we feel like failure is a little bit more in our control because in the sense of failure, there are things that we could think about changing that would have made the situation different. I want to think about that same concept in rejection. So with rejection, we, yes, may not have control over the final decision, but we do have control over what we do with the final decision. Now, I could have said, no way, I'm not applying to any other schools because I'm going to fail, I'm going to get rejected, so there's no point. I decided not to do that. I decided to go with it, shoot my shot, and apply for the last medical school on the last day possible. It was scary. It was actually terrifying. But I did it. I decided to use the rejection as a momentous force to keep pushing forward. We do that same thing with failure. We have that choice. When we fail, we can run from it or we can run towards it. We can see why we failed. So that's what I did. I looked at my application. I looked at why maybe I was rejected. Maybe it was the personal statement. Maybe it was the average MCAT scores. Maybe it was something in my application or my resume that I talked about that wasn't the best or wasn't the best English or maybe the story wasn't well. I don't know. And I looked through that. And when I did that, I actually realized I'm so proud of all the things that you've done. Even with those rejections, I still feel the worth. I still feel worthy. And I'm going to apply to this DO school. So with rejection, instead of facing it as an ultimatum, face it as an observation. Why was I rejected? Does it matter that I was rejected to the extent that it defines who I now am or who I am to become? We have that choice. So when you're looking at rejection, I want you to think about, again, think about the times where you have faced rejection. Go back to that exercise in the beginning. Maybe you felt rejected when you were benched. Maybe you felt rejected when you asked someone out. Maybe you felt rejected from getting a raise or a promotion. 
think about that and ask yourself, what happened next? Did you stop? Did you run? Did you quit? Or did you find an alternative? Did you find something that will help you advance towards your goal differently? So now, taking that perspective and back into my story a little bit, when I did, when I started med school, the mindset of I cannot fail because I will prove to them that they were right, was that necessarily healthy? Absolutely not. Did that stop me from giving it my 150%? No. I gave it everything I had because I knew I could prove it wrong. And a lot of times you'll hear motivational speakers, don't prove them wrong. Prove it to yourself that you can do it. And that's what I needed. I didn't need to prove anyone wrong. I needed to prove to myself that I was worthy of being in the position that I'm in today. And that first semester did that for me. I absorbed the information. I had my downfalls. I had my struggles. I had my failures. But I picked back up. I kept moving. I kept learning. I kept growing. And what did that teach me? That I could also do that for others. I could be that light for others when they needed it. And now, how is it that in the rejection, we don't succumb to it and allow it to be proven to be true. Now, this comes with perception, and I mentioned perception a little bit earlier on. But what we try to do when we get rejection is we try to perceive the facts that prove that correct. We look for the things that would say, you know what? Yep, they were right. I don't deserve this. You know what? My average MCAT score, you're right. There are people out there who are much more deserving of me. I don't deserve this. And I want you to try to think about that perception and ask yourself, what benefit does that really do? It doesn't do anything. It makes you feel really bad about yourself, but it really does not change the outcome of what happened. So take that perspective and let's shift it on a 180 degree angle. Think about the good things that they might have acknowledged. Maybe they saw something in your resume that was really unique, really interesting, but they just didn't mention it. Look at those things that you've done and think to yourself, wow, I remember this experience. I remember this mission trip. This was an absolutely awe-inspiring moment for me. This changed my life. This made me a better person. Now, that might not get you the position, but it will make you think about who you are as a person and who you are becoming. Even without that position, it does not define you to be worthy or not. Many students that I've tutored, many students, have taken gap years. Some because they applied and they didn't get in. Some because they wanted some more post-bac education. Some because they wanted research opportunities. Some wanted to work. Some started a family. Regardless, what this tells me, though, is that whichever route they had taken, it landed them back to their passion back to the journey that they wanted to start, and now they're on it. So what you you do with the rejection is the most important part 
of the whole scenario. Do you let it burn you to the ground? Do you let it bury you? Or do you use it as a powerful tool to make you a better person? To move forward in a direction that you maybe didn't expect? To take new risks? To go leaps and bounds above what you thought you could do and push your limits? Rejection is so powerful because if we let it push us down, it can crumble us. But if we let it push us up, we can become unstoppable. This is such an important topic, and I'm sharing this again because it is interview season. And I want everyone to know, yes, the fear of rejection still exists with me. I still have that sensational fear in the back of my head. What if I'm not worthy? What if I don't deserve this? And I even talk to people of my support system and say, what if what happened last time happens again? And what I now know is, even if it did, would that change who I am, who I want to become, and what I want to do with my life? No. It may put a pause in it, maybe a delay, or maybe it will just make me find an alternative, another route to the same goal, to chase my passion, and to, f- to accomplish what I want to do in my life. So, in the midst of all this anxiety-provoking times, the ups and downs, the feeling of, will I be accepted, will I be rejected? Think about this. Regardless, does that make you any different of a person? Look at your resume. Look at the things you've accomplished, certificates, whatever you've done, right? Think about all of those things in your life that have made you the person you are today. Be proud of that. Be so overwhelmingly proud of that person and recognize that that person accomplished all of those things and can accomplish so much more. It does not matter what one rejection, 10 rejections, a thousand rejections say to you. It matters how you define those rejections and what that means for you as a person. Will you let it destroy you or will you let it empower you? And when I think about this model of rejection and this perspective shift, I believe that if we can use it as an empowering force, we can make medicine so much easier. Now back to the question. A patient presents to your clinic with signs of hyperthyroidism. They have pretypial myxedema and exophthalmus. You diagnose them with Graves' disease. Which of the following drugs is most likely to be part of the treatment regimen? Is it A, amiodarone, B, digoxin, C, fluoxetine, D, levothyroxine, or E, prednisone? The answer for this question is actually E, prednisone. We can use the prednisone to treat the exophthalmus, which is really important, especially for somebody with Graves' disease. But I want to also review when a patient comes in with a thyroid storm. So there are four P's that we use, and this is how you can remember it. The first P is propranolol, or a beta blocker. The second P is PTU, or propylthiouracil. The third P is 
prednisolone, or steroids, and the fourth P is potassium iodide, or Lugol iodine. So these are really important for anyone taking step one, level one, or step two, level two, to remember. Um, they could throw these out in any way or form. If you ever see them talking mostly about the heart rate, you want to just go with the propranolol. It's a pretty good uh, answer choice. Remember, for your other options, amiodarone, that's a no-no for hypo or hyperthyroidism. It can cause both. Um, and then also the levothyroxine is going to be used in people with low thyroid, so hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Thank you for listening. Thank you all for joining for this episode of the podcast. I really do appreciate it. My goal in life is to help as many as I can. And I know how much of a struggle it is to go through medical school and the pre-medical process. And I wish to be a guide for all of you and learn a lot from you as well. So thank you again for joining.